HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. Food and travel, they go hand in hand. And chances are, if you're a fan of Heritage Radio Network, you love them both. Between April 10th and 24th, we have six incredible food and travel experiences up for auction at charitybuzz.com. Go on an underground food tour of New Orleans with a rocket scientist. Get your hands on VIP passes to Feast Portland or enjoy a ranch to table experience in wine country. Four of the experiences include hotel stays at some of the most iconic properties across the country, including the newly reopened Hotel Claremont in Atlanta. Now's your chance to win the ultimate bourbon and beyond weekend in Lexington or take in a Latin food tour of New York's outer boroughs. You'll eat, drink, explore, and relax, all while supporting Heritage Radio Network. Help us keep the lights on and the mics hot. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash auction and bid now. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. Today is Tuesday, April 10th, 2018. We've got some great guests uh, joining us tonight in the studio. Um, I'm really happy to have Yeppe from Evil Twin back in. How are you, buddy? I'm good, thank good. you. Good, we've got a lot of news to talk with you about. You're going to be opening uh, your, your first physical brewery in New York City this year. Yeah. So that's that's a big part of the show. I and mean, we've got some special guests, uh, top-rated uh, advanced Cicerones and, and certified Cicerones that are going to help us get a nice conversation going. So you guys go around the room and introduce yourselves. What's up, guys? This is Chris McClellan, uh, and I uh, obviously live here in New York City. Hey guys, I'm Angela Style. I'm one of the uh, advanced Cicerones coming in today and just moved back to the city. And I just want to say, Angela's one reason we, we put this show together because she came here in the fall, reached out to a lot of beer people from Patrick Donaher. I think you reached out to like everyone in the New York City craft beer I community. had a hit list. You did good. And now she's here and she, she passed the advanced Cicerone. That's a big deal. And we got a couple. And Chris, and Chris, also, you should say you're a certified Cicerone, but you probably will be taking the advanced again. I am, yeah. And I'm, I'm actually taking the advanced next month. So it's, it's full crunch time right now. It's kind of interesting, isn't it, Yepe? I mean, not too long ago, nobody had these credentials. Um, but you've probably seen a lot, a lot of people taking these tests. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't follow it that 
closely actually. Um, I'm so caught up in my own world and what I do. So, but I, obviously I hear about it and, uh, and read about it. But yeah, yeah, it's cool. We'll, we'll learn more because suddenly out, out of the blue, it's kind of like almost de rigueur for you know people working in, in management in the industry. And like like Matt, you're working at Union Beer. But you're also you're only 26 and you're an advanced Cicerone too. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, thank you for the introduction, Matt Dinowitz, uh, one of the advanced Cicerones, uh, New York City native, uh, living in Brooklyn right now, uh, work for Union Beer Distributors. And uh, yeah, I just want to say uh, real quick, it's pretty awesome to be, you know, amongst some pretty awesome company right now. And uh, thanks for having me. Great, man. And Zach, he's our, our boy who writes for Thrillist. Hey, Jimmy. About beer sometimes. How's it going? All right. ABC Beer Company. ABC Beer Co. Thrillist Prices in the East Village. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so you yeah, just, and, adv- and certified Cicerone awaiting results. So to you my just advanced. went to, to Miami and you took the test. I did, Miami. Yeah, it was uh, it was a, a lot to take in and a pretty busy time of year for me. And studying was I wish I would. Oh, you could always say you wish I had more time to study, but I think you know I did better than I thought I would. We'll find out. And if I have to take it again, I have to. Take You're it already again. breaking out into a flop sweat from the memories <laughs> of studying. Right PTSD now. is still fresh. Yeah, yeah it, it's a side of beer I never thought. I never thought that people would be studying for tests. I remember. I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago, this guy, Sam Merritt, was hosting the, the intro-level Cicerone beer server classes in, in, in the back room at Jimmy's Number 43. And I remember, uh, th- I thought that was hard. So, <laughs> But it, it, it gave me some you know, self-knowledge and stuff. So, yeah, but let's talk about this. You know, you, it's been out there for a couple of years. You're talking about you know, opening a brewery. You've got a location in Ridgewood. Uh, Miguel, the beer tracker, did some great photos. Mm-hmm. You saw the, this construction going on. So... Tell us about it, you know, why you decided to open a brewery after all these years. Um, I mean, different, re- many reasons, um, and we've been working on it for a long time now. Um, you know, Evil Twin is eight years old now and, and has been exclusively a contract brewery, a gypsy brewery or whatever you call it. And we have, we have done a lot. I mean, we have, we have managed to, to grow a pretty big brand that's worldwide and, you know, that people seem to like. Um, it's been fun, and we love. We've been love doing it, and with all the challenges that's that came with, uh, comes with with contract brewing. Um, so when I moved to New York six years ago with my family, you know, the plan was to move all the production to the USA first of all, um, but also to become a part of of the of the beer scene in New York City. And and you know, we opened Trust and Luxus and all that stuff, um, which was a step in that direction. And we kind of felt now that the last step to really become a, a New York brand was to actually have a physical brewery in New York. Um, you know, I wanted to build a brewery since I started pretty much. I just hadn't had the time because I have so much going on. I, we have a distribution company in, in Europe also that's growing like crazy. So, you know, finding time to do all these things hasn't been easy. Um, but, you know, we, it's important for us to... to to renew the brand and to stay focused and do new stuff and, and to build that brewery was just the next step and, and, and you know we found a cool space and, and it just it was obvious to take that and, and, and run with it um, so yeah it's exciting there's a lot going on it's a big project cheers man welcome to the show and welcome Thank back you. last time we had you on you, you had uh, come out with the food and beer book which was, which was a great book uh, Thank with you. your Luxus chef is it that long ago? It, was, it seems long. Yeah, when we're doing this, probably every week. is. <laughs> yeah, it was like a year and a half ago, wasn't it? Something like yeah. that. It's a beautifully shot book. I, I I still look at the pictures in it sometimes. Yeah, thank it's you. Absolutely thank beautiful. You. Yeah, see, that's you know, again, that's you know, staying busy is, is not a problem. Um, you know, all these things cut, 
just it's not something we plan to write. It's not like, hey, I want to write a book, but you know, fight on our publisher came came along and said, hey, you want to write a book, and you got to do that when they ask. So, a lot of the things that's been happening the last six years since I moved to New York is something that wasn't planned, but it kind of just was, you know, came to me, and I just, hey, I just ran with it. Um, and now with the new brewery. It's kind of the same thing. You know, we had been looking for a space for a while and couldn't really find one that we liked and had the size that we wanted. And then guy called me up and said, hey, I have a space for you in Richwood. You should come check it out. And it was, you know, amazing space, nice size, good location, all that stuff. And we were like, hey, we got to we gotta take this. Uh, so that's kind of, you know, it sounds like it's a, it all, it's all a coincidence, but it kind of is sometimes, you know. I don't I don't like to plan too far ahead. If, if things happen, they happen, and I run with them, so... Yeah, man. Angela, you know, and Zach too. You guys uh, jump in if you want. I was gonna say I, I I have to explain this to a lot of people. I, I on top of writing about beer and coming on the show every once in a while, I also own a shop and a bar. And having to explain to people kind of the concept that Evil Twin has used to grow, uh, like, do you ever feel like you have to explain to people that it's sort of like the cart before the horse? In some cases, it's not like for some brewers that makes sense. Like what you've done to build such a respected and and well deserved uh, respected brand. Do you uh, do you find that like you've had any problems establishing yourself without a physical brewery to call home or? Uh, no, I don't. Not from a business perspective. I mean, we have been doing really good, and we're making twenty thousand barrels of beer and selling it all, and you know, people seem to like it. And you know, it's more from a personal standpoint that I want a brewery, want a brewery, um, just for my own satisfaction. You know, I'm getting older also, and. Traveling the world is fun for a while, but it doesn't stay, you know, it doesn't keep what being... What are you, like 27, 28? Something like that. <laughs> plus and, and plus, you need plus to, minus. You need a place for your kids to hang out, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, so, the, the, you know, I get asked a lot, why are you opening a brewery? You have such a successful business model and it's going really good. And yeah, why am I opening a brewery? Now all the problem starts, right? So, you know, first of all, being a New York brand is very important for us and to become that New York brand that we wanted to be, I think we need a physical location. Um, also, you know, we at a scale now where when I make a new beer, it's no less than 100 barrels, you know, and it's kind of like a big, big, big batch to, to play around with. And sometimes I'm like, ah, oh, maybe this is a little too much, but we kind of have to do it that way because I can't home, I can't do small scale anymore. It's just too time consuming. So to have a small, you know, we're doing a 15 barrel brewery in, in Richwood. So to have a small brewery where we can play around and, and try new things and, and, you know, test recipes and maybe move them to bigger scales. Also something that I wanted for a long time. And then the whole thing about selling directly to the consumer um, is, you know, it's a big thing from a profit perspective. Right now, we do a barrel-aged stout um, down in South Carolina, for example. We have 100 cases. The whole world wants it. You know, we can send three cases to California and everybody gets upset that they can't get more. And, you know, we don't make any money on it because it has to go through all these distributors. You know, that's also, you know, frustration. So all these things added up to just it making a lot of sense for us to just do our own stuff. And now we can, you know, we're going to build a big tap room. We're going to invite, you know, all the collaborations. I brought collaboration beers today for us to taste. And I, I'm doing a lot of collaborations also because I'm a gypsy brewer. I don't have a brewery. So for me to go out and do collaborations in Virginia or Australia, where, where it is, it makes sense because that's, you know, that's my whole brand. It's built on, on working with other people. But I've never been able to kind of bring people back into my brewery. Um, and I want to do that. And a lot of people that I work with are like, hey, you should open a brewery so we can come brew with you. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. 
So that's that's Turn the also favor. Her. Yeah. Angelon, uh, she, she's new to New York, and I don't know if you have any questions for Yuppie. Yeah, actually, I thought it was kind of interesting that the place that you ended up settling on, because we've been just discussing so much that you've been this gypsy brewer, the place you ended up settling on is a city wherein the rent is so high, the conditions are so rough, but it seems to me that perhaps maybe it's a culture kind of issue for you, where that's why you made this your landing page, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it does. Uh, again, that's it's uh, that's a lot to say about it. I. I've heard myself say a lot of times lately that I cannot recommend anybody opening a brewery in New York City because <laughs> it's very complicated. And, you know, the scale that we do that, it's not a huge brewery, but it's pretty big. Uh, I mean, it's probably the biggest since, I don't know, single cut or something like that out in Queens. Um, it's extremely expensive. It's ex- There's a lot of, you know... Permits and <laughs> registrations and all kinds of stuff. I, mean, I, I saw you make it sound so easy. Yeah, Miguel, yeah it's not it easy. But Miguel's <laughs> photos, it's basically like you're just digging up the floors and what you're putting in drains. You're yeah. basically rebuilding an entire building. I am, you? and there's nothing unusual about that when you build a brewery. The problem is that we do it in the middle of New York, so everything is just more, you know, takes longer, costs more. People, you know, everything in New York is so expensive. It's like, hey, we have to do this. It's like another five thousand dollars. You're like five thousand dollars. I mean, really, if, to do that, it's just an expensive place to do it. Um, and then when we own the brewery, you know, then all the trouble starts. I like to tell the story about you know when you have spent grain, everybody, you know, they're so happy they can give it away to farmers and they come pick it up and all that stuff. In New York <laughs> in City, New York, you have to pay people to come pick it up, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's like. <laughs> It complicates a lot of things to be in the middle of a big city. But on the other hand, and that's why we're doing it, because, you know, we actually looked upstate, actually. We, we looked for a bigger space upstate to just be out of the city and, and do more out there. But to be able to do it in New York City also brings a lot of attention to what we do. And, you know, the whole world looks at, uh, look at New York um, from a food perspective and art perspective and music and all that stuff. And to be able to build a brewery, it's just going to give us an attention that, that we wouldn't get if we were outside of New York or if we were in a different state, I think. So all in all, I think it, it makes sense. Uh, again, I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, <laughs> like longer, I, I always like to say, that we're not here for the cheap rent. You know, you, exactly. you, come in, you, you come in for the experience. And the rent is just a small part of it. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, you know, we actually, we got the space that we have now that we're building out. Now we got the space in April 2016 and we only started building out in January 18. So we actually paid rent for more than a year and a half. Oh, oh my God. Wow. 15,000 square feet. Can you imagine how much that cost? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want to, right, Angela? I don't want to. Chris, you got a question? Yeah. Yeah, so I, sort of looking at the industry, we were actually talking about this. Zach and I were talking about this earlier at Zach's Bar, and we were talking about looking at the health of the industry, right? And so um, you mentioned kind of selling direct to consumers. I work for Guinness, and which is a very interesting perspective because I'm, I'm the world's biggest fan of great local beer. I think it's um, vital to communities these days. Um, but at the same point, um, you know, when you look at a lot of the markers out there, it seems like people just forgot how to drink beer. You know, when you look at what's going on um, just from a volume perspective and, and across the industry, do you feel like what's your take on especially your perspective, given what you've done and your business model? What is your take on what's happening right now in the U.S. beer scene? Do you feel like we're incredibly healthy? Do you feel like we've got uh, room to grow? Like what's your what's your kind of perspective on that? See, again, that's is that uh, bubble bursting, I think, is how everyone's phrasing it. Yeah, no, I don't think it is. I mean, it's uh, it's it, again, it's a very big question. Right. Um, and it takes a lot of answers. I mean, you obviously all see what's going on with um, with Green Flash latest and Smarty Nose and all that stuff. Um, R.I.P. 
And I, I gotta be honest with you, I'm not surprised at all. I kind of knew that was gonna happen, and hey, that's a good friend of mine, Carlo. He owns this place. <laughs> <laughs> there he yeah, is, yeah. Chef Carlo Maracci. <laughs> yeah, like one of the best chefs in the country. Anyway, so yeah, I'm, I, I would say I'm, I'm happy. I'm not at the scale where Green Flash was um, because I think they're, they, those guys are struggling a little bit. I mean, we see they are. They just went down. Um, on my level, twenty thousand barrels or less. I think we're pretty healthy, and I think we can we can keep growing. And I think there's way more to be done if you were smart about it. I mean, it's not about just making good beer anymore because a lot of people are making good beer. It's actually hard to find bad beer. I mean, and that has changed. That's a big change from a couple of years ago. Um, Quick, Yappy, what's the beer that we're drinking? It's the sweetest beer you ever had. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, a collaboration sweet. I did with uh, the Vale in uh, Virginia. Um, one of my good friends, Matt, uh, we've done a couple of collaborations together and he wanted to do a stout. And the first one we did was kind of, you know, it was just the, fried ch- the infamous fried chicken beer where we uh, played on the Cracker Barrel thing. So now we wanted to do another one where we played on a big, you know, this is Honey Nut or whatever they're called, Honey Nut O's or whatever they're called. Um, so we wanted to make a beer with lots of honey and lots, lots of nuts in it. So it's a big, Cereal su- big su- yeah, exactly, <laughs> big sweet and pale style. I feel like it's cloying in the right way. It is pretty, cl- yeah, the right way. I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's very, it's definitely a dessert beer. For it is a hundred percent, but it's great. It is a good one. Thank hey, you. Hey, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes and talk more about this cloyingly sweet beer <laughs> on beer sessions radio. All right. Okay. for listening to Heritage Radio Network. This is Katie, HRN Executive Director, and I'm so excited to share with you our coverage from the Charleston Wine and Food Festival. We are here live today at Charleston Wine and Food. Join us as we talk all things food. Come to Charleston, eat some seafood. Eat all of the seafood. Chicken fried chicken with chorizo steak and salsa verde mashed potatoes. So quintessentially like Southern fare at its finest. And have important conversations. We're also talking about professional women in restaurants and how underrepresented they are. People of color in restaurants and how they're not talked about. We get real with Food Network's Manit Chohan. Balance is BS. (laughs) Uh, I I was was told that uh, I wasn't going to be bleeped out. And find out about raising sugarcane with Chef Sean Brock. It's like being Indiana Jones or something. You never know what you're going to find. You'll come away inspired by the power of food and the food scene in Charleston. Here's Dr. Jessica B. Harris. Food is constantly in flux. Food is always moving. Food is the only real lingua franca that we have that allows us to connect with other folks. So tune in to Heritage Radio Network on tour at heritageradionetwork.org or wherever you get your podcasts. You can't go wrong. 
Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. You know, there's so many podcasts going on around the country and around the world, but Heritage Radio Network, this is about 10 years, and we've been here almost nine doing Beer Sessions Radio, over 400 episodes. So check all the archives. You can go back now on Spotify as well. And uh, there's so many uh, you know, beer industry people that have been on the show, including, um, you know, Yepe from Evil Twin is, is back on the show tonight. Uh, he's been on quite a few times. He's opening a, a physical brewery out in, in Queens in New York City, and we've got uh, four great uh, advanced or on the way to being advanced Cicerones here as well. So, um, Yepi, we're just talking about the, the, the beer that you made at the Vale and collaborations. Um, I know the, these guys have some more questions for you. All right. Um, I Honestly, I love the Vale guys. I actually went down there for the first time about a year ago, and they seem like a natural fit for you. So um, I'm someone who gets to see you both as a writer, like I said, and as, a, as someone who owns a bar in a retail uh, environment where I get to see people's expressions when they try your beer for the first time, and it's almost universally like surprise and, and joy. So I'm just curious. You have some of the most diverse offerings of the beer out there, and that's saying a lot for a very crowded beer market. You mm. have very inventive stuff. This this Honey Nut Yepios, and am I saying that right? Yeah, is definitely. I've never had anything quite like this. Honey um, Nut Yepios. <laughs> you could you could do something with that. We we never got a lawsuit for some weird reason. I'm I'm shocked. <laughs> honestly, Jimmy's voiceover talent coming in there too. Yepi, I'll sing the the song for you. Yeah, yeah. you need that, a song this isn't for a, these beers. This isn't a challenge to General Mills for a season assist, but I, that's I'm very impressive in its own right. But thank you so much. Where where do you come up with the like? Do you just kind of wake up with you? Pass like a pack of Starburst on the street, and you're like, I should make a beer about that, or <laughs> hear a song. Or like, what's your? Uh, I know this is such a banal question, but I want to hear what you have to say about it. I, I kind of do, actually. I mean, it's I don't I don't see myself as being overly creative, and people always tell me I'm very creative. So it's hard it's hard to to know where it comes from because I you know I I don't think in a creative way, but I get a lot of obviously. I, I don't want to say good ideas, but I get a lot of ideas, and you know, fun some ideas of them are, that, yeah. are good, right? I mean, I'm I spend all my you know waking hours on eating and drinking, pretty much. I'm huge into coffee, cocktails, food, you know, wine, palate exploration. Um, yeah, it's like I get inspired from everything that I taste, and I, it's often things that I taste that I get inspired from. Sometimes it's other things, but most of the time it's it's things that I taste, and I get more inspired by cocktails or wine these days than I do from beer because I know I pretty much know beer I've been in it for a long time and I've done it so much so to me, for me to get inspired by all these other you know beverage or, or food items that are not directly uh, related to, be, to beer but you can kind of bring into beer is, it, it's fun and you know I've, I've worked with cocktail bars like Avaria and PDT and, and, and stuff like that and it's 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 cool to work with these guys because they have a different approach to flavors. You know, they know flavors, but they have a very different approach. They don't know anything about beer making. So they come to me and, you know, we made the beer um, called James Beer with aviary last year, which was a Berliner Weisse with strawberry and olive, which sounds extremely weird. And it's, you know, it ended up making a lot of sense because, you know, it turned into kind of a goza where the olive brine kind of gave the saltiness to the goza. And Salty it was, and sweet, always a good thing. Yeah, and it's like, I, I you know... I didn't come up with that idea, but they came to me and said, hey, we have this dessert at, at Elinia in Chicago that you know has olive and, and strawberry. Could you turn that into a beer? I'm like, hey, this, this is a pretty good idea. And then you have to figure out how that works. You know? It's do also you, perfect for James yeah. Beard Foundation. If you're, that was for James Beard. It right? was, yeah, yeah exactly. So chef-y in a way. Yeah. Do, you, do you feel like I'll take the, the position of the, the big established beer company just for argument's sake here? And what I'll say is that do you feel like 
nope, they don't expect you to make any particular beer at this point, right? You can just kind of put something out. It is creative. It is unique. It's interesting. And you have that kind of license. But it's easy for you to do that, right, at this point? Definitely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it. you know, when I started out with Evil Twin and being a gypsy brewer, a contract brewer, I didn't have any investments. I made a beer. I sold it. I made another one. I sold that. Um Meaning, which means that I could I could do whatever I wanted, you know. I I didn't have to have a flagship beer to to you know to get a certain you know cash flow going or anything like that. I, I didn't need that, um, so that was a big help uh, from the beginning for sure. Um, later on, you know, when you establish a brand and it becomes what it, Evil Twin has become, and it's expected that we do all these things that are kind of out of, out of the ordinary, you know. Sometimes it feels a little too easy. You know, it's like, no matter what I do, people love it. And it's like, do they really love it that much? Or do you just think they love it? It's obviously, it's fun for me. Um, I still, and this might sound weird, but I still, when I make a beer, even for how weird and funny ingredients I add, I always try to figure out some kind of a balance. It's, I like gimmicks, but I don't like gimmicks just for the gimmick. It has to make sense also. So when I, you know... I don't know. Does it make sense what I'm saying? I'm not trying to just make fun and not trying to just do crazy stuff to, just to do crazy stuff. I want it to be drinkable also. Matt, you got a question? Yeah, totally. So, I mean, I don't mean to like butter you up or anything like that, but uh, I can I mean, definitely, <laughs> <laughs> definitely a big fan. Um, and I think you, it's, it's obvious that you were one of the first to kind of like come to the scene and, and just kind of be an expression of like art, right? But in beer form. Um, and we're talking about this right now, and really anything goes. You could concept something and have a crazy inspiration and make it in beer form. Um, kind of want to segue that into with the new space coming in to play. Um, how will that function with the future? And like, I don't want you like I don't no, know how you're going to reveal it. So the question is. Uh, are you are you gonna like have more like of a like portfolio? I mean, you're obviously always gonna do these interesting experimental things, but mm. what does the future hold as far as your beer lineup? And we kind of have a portfolio now. It's just very big. <laughs> I mean, we do. Um, no, the new so. the new brewery is gonna be a playground for sure. Um, it's gonna definitely be even more playground. You know, I just went out and talked to Carlo, who owns Roberta's and Blanca, two missing star restaurants in the back. And the first thing he said was, hey, when are you open? I want to come out and make a beer, you know? <laughs> and it's, you know, Pizza it's, beer. it's such a one. cool position to be in where, you know, one of the best, to me, one of the best chefs in the world, when I see him, he asks, when can I come out and make a beer, you know? So that's definitely the stuff that we're going to do out there. Um, I'm not a big fan of just doing the same things. You know, I, I you know, I, yeah, you say art, and a lot of people want to compare us to: Are we an? Are you an artist? Are you a scientist? What are you? I always say, I'm, you know, I actually compare it to being a chef. Uh, I think making beer is the same as cooking. You pretty much just put some ingredients together and you try to make something that tastes good come out of it. It's kind of like making a soup; you just ferment it, right? Um, and that's my approach to brewing, which also means that hey, if you're a chef, you want to make new dishes all the time. You don't want to. You don't want to be there, stand there, and do the same thing over and over again. You want to create new dishes, and that's who. You know, that's what I want to do. I, when I every time I sit down to make a new recipe, or come up with a new beer, a new concept, I think about, hey, what can I do to, you know, change what I already done? Or how can I come up with something new? And it's not like every time I make a stout, I start all over. Obviously, you know, there's certain ingredients you have to use to make a stout. You know, and and when you have one. 
base recipe that works out, you kind of go from that um, when you make a new one. Same thing with cooking. You know, it's not like you start all over every time you have to boil a pot of rice. You know, you kind of know how to do it, but you can use a different rice. You can have a different uh, different spice, and that's kind of how I approach it. So, Well, that's why I think we're all so impressed with what you do. It's not just like anyone can do weird shit, you know. Anyone could just put a bunch of varying ingredients together and try and make it work, but it's the fact that you execute it. That's the part that gets our gets us going is the fact that these flavors can come across like, oh, what would you say, olive and strawberry, was mm. it? I mean, who would have thought of that? But the fact that it could actually come through. Yeah. And but, you know, Mike, I had a weird question. Like, I, there's a, definitely a lot, like you said before, like gimmicks for the sake of being gimmicks are a, a plenty these days. And, mm-hmm. and I know that's definitely something that what read if you just were to read off the list of ingredients in your beers and they no one ever got to try them then they might see that that but i've tried the majority of your beers and that's not the case like have you ever had in the sake of being let's call it avant-garde or or a little culinarily driven have you ever tried something that like you immediately regretted like i don't get to see your list of failures i only see your list of successes is there any ever anything you've ever done that didn't work out uh, see now it's can't tell you. <laughs> now it's gonna sound weird that I said no. I mean he doesn't remember. He's he so good. No, I've definitely had he beers that I didn't. Uh, that's I, success. I, I, yeah. that I didn't want. I, uh, that I wouldn't want to do again. Uh, just because you know it's I, I and I often I actually know when I make it that I, this is a one-time thing and I want to try it out, but it's not something that I want to continue to do. Um, I mean, no, I don't want to call it failures. I mean, it, even beers that end up tasting weird and not as good as I wanted them to. It's still a learning curve and I'm not saying that, hey, I'm just I'm just trying things out and I'm selling them to the co- consumer and you know they're just going to buy the stuff that I'm experimenting on. Um, but again, I've made beers that I didn't care for too much and then I have people come up and say, hey, this is the best beer you ever made. And I'm like, see, you know, Chase is different and you've got to be careful trying to make what you think people want all the time because you know and that, which is also why we never describe the flavor of our beers on our labels a lot of people do it's like you know you make a brown and it's like oh it has notes of coffee and and a little bit a bit of you know roastiness and blah blah instead you could be a uh, beautiful poetry on the side of your cans yeah we never Very do abstract. yeah and, we never, and that's uh you know that's on purpose because i don't want to tell people what this beer tastes like because every Taste is different. You think some, it'll lead them to certain uh, expectations yeah, as well? Yeah, people taste different things. You know, I might taste coffee in this beer. Somebody might taste something else. You know, and and my point is that I never make a beer for you know. I make it for myself, and that's you know that's easy to say, but I actually do. It's always something that I want to try, and hopefully, you know, some quick. Some yeah, but what, what's this beer? We're on number two. So that's a collaboration I did with a small brewery down in um, Florida. Um, it's a longer story. I was, I, you know, Radiohead that I've been a big fan of for a long time uh, was, was playing in, like in uh, New York so and good. I missed buying tickets. So I put on, on Facebook, hey, I need two tickets for Radiohead. And some random guy emailed me and said, hey, I have two tickets for you. The only thing you have to do to get these two tickets is you have to make a collaboration with one of my friends who <laughs> opened a brewery down in Florida. Wow. And what like, a deal. I was like, all right, let's do it. Well played. Obviously, it took me like a year and a half to get it get it done because I'm so busy but we made we made it happen what's the name of the brewery it's uh, called Gravity Brew Lab tiny tiny little one um, and this is actually a built in dark ale uh, you know quadruple kind of style um, which I don't make a lot of but I wanted to do something different I was going to Florida to brew with J- Johnson Wakefield and Cycle and a couple of other guys and they all make stouts and they all wanted to make stouts I was like hey I don't want to do another stout so let's do something totally different uh that's good. One thing you you mentioned not putting the you know f- flavor components or whatever the tastes on the 
the label, I, I think we've talked about that a lot because, you know, the vocabulary, the words that people use to describe taste, some of them are outdated. They go back to like 19th century wine terms, you know, uh, you know, horse blanket and, and, and manure, you know, and barnyard flavors. And, and if you don't, every, I think everyone tastes those differently, and especially coming from wine to beer. So I think you're on to something. Um, I don't know if anyone else wants to talk about, you know, how you describe things when you're tasting them, and in particular, like in the Cicerone tests. It's, uh, that was one of the biggest parts when I just did the advanced was being able to come up with really robust adjectives to, like, to, to be able to express what you're tasting. I do a bit of uh, side writing for uh, spirits, spirits taste, uh, tasting notes and for wine tasting notes. And I feel like those places you're allowed to be a lot more descriptive and say things like grapefruit zest. And like horse blanket is a common term, but what if, when's the last time you heard someone try to sell you a white wine that like, well, the cat piss or like, like weird sense or like, or like, uh, like peach cobbler, things like that. Uh, like he's pretty much nailed it. Like some of these people naming beers after specific foods will lead you to that stuff. But I, I think beer is entering the point where all I can come up with are like tangential food pairing, uh, uh, notes that kind of, that lead me to where I'm, I'm tasting. I think sometimes too, right? Like what's very important is like who your audience is and who are you speaking to? Right. And Sometimes we have this tendency to standardize things, but really, you know, yeah, I mean, you do it perfectly right. You want, everyone's going to have their own interpretation at the end of the day. So and with respect to like the Cicerone exam, it's going back to that audience. It's, you know, you can get super, like super cerebral and, and say very obscure things, but you'll lose someone immediately if they can't no, quite right. Well, that's what the advanced Cicerone exam, anything especially beyond certified Cicerone, is really about. It's for those of us who are looking to be able to move between technical conversation and consumer-friendly conversation, talking about trans, uh, you know, transunodinal and damascanone versus oxidation, and using different vocabulary as well as descriptors. That's why even any time I've done staff education, which has been a huge part of my career, um, I don't start off beer 101 with beer styles. I think that comes second level. What we need to start talking about first is the palate. What are you getting on the mouthfeel, flavor, and aroma? Start there, and then you can have a conversation universally rather than this pegged specific conversation that only industry people will know. So I think palate plays a huge role for everyone. And I'll, you know, yeah. Maybe maybe she's got a point at this. And I'd be interested to hear what Yepi has to think, too, because I think as Americans, we're obsessed with categorizing stuff. Coming from the wine world, especially where you know what varieties, specific varieties of wine taste like or when they come from specific countries. With beer, we're so obsessed with the idea that this has to be an IPA in a rigid format or this has to be a brown ale in a, in a rigid format where I feel like the a lot of the great beer cultures in the world have kind of eschewed any uh, guidelines. for. Is this a sort of the thing like when you enter a market like the United States, do you feel kind of compelled to, to obviously you're not restricting yourself in ingredients, but when you work with like the, the base idea of an IPA, what is like your, your kind of rubric for like limiting your, your flavor profiles? Are you not limiting rather, but like kind of constructing your flavor profiles? And you could use this triple IPA that we're drinking right now as Which an is example, because this thing is a monster. Yeah. And you know, it's again, I, I don't want to say that I'm against categorizing Beers, but with that being said, I, you know, I don't. I see it as a free blank, uh, like uh, as a as a what is called clean sheet kind of thing when I make a beer. You know, and if you call it this <laughs> or that, had you had you called this an IPA five years ago? Had you made this five years ago and called it an IPA? Moving like this is not an IPA. You know, this is more. I, I don't even know what it was. You know, it didn't exist five years ago. I think that we have to be careful categorizing everything. And I know that's, you know, taking an exam, a Cicerone exam, you have to categorize things and I've also judged competition and stuff like that and that's all about categorizing um, 
and that's fine because that's kind of what's what this competition is about or what this exam is about but as a brewer i do not think about styles obviously we have to put a style on the label so we have to say hey this is an ipa or this is what it is you know and often you know i made molotov cocktail which is a 13 ipa it's it's pretty much a barley wine, you know. It's, yeah. it's a hobby barley wine, but you know, we just decided to put IPA on because IPA sell better than barley wines, you know. And it doesn't really matter if it's one or the other because I knew exactly what I wanted out of it. I knew what I wanted it to taste. I knew how much alcohol I wanted it, wanted in it. And and if I call it a barley wine and IPA, I don't care. I mean, it's not up to me, to, you know. So. Yeah, but which beer is this that we're drinking? This is a collaboration I did recently with a pretty young brewery up in um, just. Upstate New York, I don't remember the town, but it's Middle called town. E- Equilibrium. Um, two years old, amazing, amazing brewery, amazing people. Um, I met them. I, I, you know, I was, I was reading about them, and I emailed them and said, "Hey, you guys sound pretty cool. Can I come by?" And <laughs> I went up there, and we talked, and had some beers and some hot wings, and you know, we and we came up with this collaboration. And, and these guys, you know, for me, it's like. I'm considered kind of old school, being eight years old now, um, and for me to work with with these young guys that are two years old, they, you know, it's it's cool to be inspired by what's going on right now. So it's cool, big big guy, eight year old with the two year olds. Exactly. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're gonna take a, a, one more short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Like what you hear? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. With fresh programming every week, we've got something for everyone. Trying to start your own food business? Concerned about where your food comes from? Looking for the best wine or beer to bring to a party? Find our shows on iTunes or Stitcher, or head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen live and subscribe to our newsletter. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, guys, check it out, heritageradionetwork.org. Become a member, and there's a lot of fundraisers going on. This is listener-supported radio, so heritageradionetwork.org. So, um, Angela, w- uh, so quickly introduce yourself again, everybody, because you're Angela. Hi. The reason we did the show, because yeah. you're a new advanced Cicerone, moved here well, from Michigan. You. Yes, I did. Thank God I came back. I love you, Michigan. I know where I'm from, but I know where I need to be, and this is here. So we're drinking beer with yes. Yepe from Evil Twin. What were you going to ask him? Uh, well, I just found it interesting, too, your comment, especially about you know categorization, talking about styles, or um, especially when we were talking about Cicerone program and things like that. A lot of frustration that people find with that Cicerone program with the exams is how rigorous they are about um, the style guidelines. I mean, memorization of these specs. I mean, IBU, um, ABV, OG, FG, um, AA, uh, I mean, pretty much everything. It, it needs to be memorization of these numbers that seem so um, irrelevant, especially when we have, like, I can pull up my BJCP app on my phone and find so it Angela, right there. So, j- just for, and as a test, just for IPAs alone, how many different styles of IPA are there? I mean, who officially? really knows now? I mean, officially. Does anybody know? On, Matt? like, say, BJCP I mean, I officially? Say like, 10 to 15, like, at least. They just added, yeah. like, three different types. Like and there's so red. many yeah. more Hazy IPA. Yeah. They don't even have that one on there yet, because they're that's, still in the 2015. That's, that's Brewers Association, not oh, BJCP. Oh, gotcha. yep, so that's sorry. the thing. Yep. That's, the, yeah, that's, that's the crazy part, though, right? Like, Yeah, there's two like, different ones. What's the actual... The BJCP is, like, brought in as such a, a style guideline um, bedrock, but, like, there's also things that, like, the market 
you can't deny when the market puts these like hazy IPAs up where for the last year and a half there was no categorized version of this like Yepes said that that beer never would have been considered an IPA but it's been the the bulk of IPA sales mm. and and I think that actually to the point that Angelo made earlier um, and w- which is really interesting that if if you you can either these days especially in New York City right you can build a brewery and a brand on um, a reputation for being innovative or creative or having a quality product, right? Whereas back in the day, it was building it on one or two flagships and then kind of evolving from there. So um, the fact that you can just kind of throw a label on there and say, hey, this is a triple IPA or this is a, you know, this is a barley wine or this is a lager, you know, it's like this is kind of gives people a, 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 you know, a rough framework to work within. And I think that does help if I will make an argument in favor of styles and that, you know, it does keep give people some vocabulary to work with, but at the end of the day, I think it's the quality yeah. of the uh, the brand that really kind of resonates well, there and do, gives I people like the, the confidence to, to move in there a little. Well, bit, however you know? strong it is, ten percent. But there, there's qualities I like. You know, there's like some really good Belgian strongs that are like this. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's again. I, I, I can say that this much. I would never be able to pass the Cicerone test because I don't... <laughs> it makes me feel a lot better. <laughs> You'd have your own I mean, test. I, I could probably study for it, but, you know, again, I, I don't have that approach where I, I work within the, the, the laws or the, 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 the borders or whatever that the, 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 the test set up or have set up. But And that, obviously, if you take a test to know about beer, you, there has to be some kind of result. Otherwise, why would you take the test? And I've seen the the some the sommelier um, documentary. What is it called? Um, some, yeah, yeah. some the, about the master psalms, and it's insane what these guys know. And you're thinking, you know, when you see that, what does that help them in you know in the long sense? I mean, obviously <laughs> they know a lot about wine, but do they actually need to know all these things? If and I again, may jump in, um, it's such a big topic socially anyway. But as a young woman coming in, I'm questioned every single time about my knowledge of beer. And I got to say that using something like, I, if I can put out there, hey, I'm an advanced Cicerone, it allows me that opportunity to hopefully skip Sounds that part of the mansplaining, yeah. if that makes yeah. sense. And let them, so in, in my case, that's actually been a big factor for that. But of course, that's not for everyone. And I don't think that everyone should be doing the Cicerone program. But for someone, for those of us who are new to the industry, who were, you know, just turned 21, excited about beer, whatever it was, it allowed us the opportunity to be like, hey, there's this framework where if you really want to be, if you're a go-getter, if you want to do this and study your ass off and study yourself and, and really get to know any and all aspects of beer, this is one way and one format for you to do so. Yeah, I, look, my feeling towards it, is it necessary? No, but it's, I think it's a brilliant program in that it, it drives people to just deepen their knowledge it gives credibility yeah, to the totally. industry yep. and um, i i don't know if they, it came out wrong i'm in no way against oh, no, no. against it i'm just saying Yo, it the- makes sense for you know if you want to be a bartender it definitely and you come from scratch and you hey you read about craft and you are hey i want to work at a beer bar i it think makes if anything it- we're agreeing with you because we ourselves have gone yeah. through it and we recognize the pitfalls and the the pros of doing something like that it's not for everyone and like for instance I mean, Garrett Oliver or someone like you, you don't need to go in and take the, you know, the master exam, for instance, approve your beer knowledge. People, you guys are already established in the industry doing mm, great work. Mm. 
but I think it again just gives opportunity to other people. Well, now who it's maybe a prof- it's there. become a professional certification. Yes. It's such a big industry, and it's also given us a forum, though, right? Like it's it's giving us this forum to be able to have this discussion in the first place, which I think is really really healthy. You know, yeah. so I think definitely, that's, definitely. Yeah. I think Yepi's going to go and reform the test, and he's going to write all the questions. <laughs> I'm sure you put some interesting. Zach, just, you just took the test, so I want to hear. The answer what did you sweat out? What? Well, what, honestly, like I, we've been talking about the this a lot. Like? I actually advanced had so many comments. The advanced Cicerone was like. It's relatively new. I like to tell the story about how I passed the Cicerone, the certified Cicerone, and then literally 30 seconds later found out that they had added the advance through an email. And it was, I had like a third, a half a minute window where I was, uh, it was so, so special. But, um, but similar to what Angela just said, like I've never been a young woman in a very male dominated industry, but it feel like it is a good way for us to kind of certify uh, that you do know something like the one core. You're so good at identifying with all. I'm (laughs) trying, but it's important in 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 an industry like this where there isn't, there isn't really, uh, there's a lot of opinion and, and a lot of. Uh, anecdotal evidence, but there's not a lot of like concrete fact. And then there's nothing to say that this has to be the core of everything we believe, but it's a good thing to kind of base certain opinions on and then be keep open-minded about it. And like, I think if, if anything, beer, like, like food is something that you should be able to take and tool into what you want it to be. And we are kind of using science and, and chemistry to, to make a product, but we are also being artistic with it, like Yepe, and kind of putting our own spin on it. And, and we should all be able to interpret it the way we want. Um, advanced, uh, we actually were talking about this earlier, uh, all four of us. Halfway through the advanced, I had this moment where I was like, why the hell am I doing this? Like, I don't understand, like, if this is going to mean anything. Half the people who see the word Cicerone on a page can't pronounce it. Uh, they don't know what it <laughs> means. Um, but, but when you actually have it at the end of the day, it's kind of grounding for you personally. Maybe maybe a little reassuring, but it's also for to be able to walk up in, in a conversation and not to lord it over anybody, just to be like, "Look, I've I've done this one rite of passage." It kind of helps balance a conversation. And I'll say you can help me with my draft system anytime you want. And, and, and the first the first thing you don't do right in the in the beer industry is walk up and say you have some sort of Cicerone certification. Never. Right? Yeah. So that's that's the worst person in the room. But <laughs> at the end of the day, the the conversation definitely it definitely gets the conversation started in certain certain circumstances. You know, and I think that's very important. You know, yep, yep, yeah. You know, as you're going forward opening a brewery, I mean, how are you going to staff it? You know, are are you going to have to start setting? You know, looking for these types of, of certified people. I mean, have you thought I, about that yet? I, I, I think we're in a pretty lucky position where we're not going to have issues staffing it. Uh, I think we get a couple of resumes a day pretty much um, from very qualified people, which, you know, it's you need a bartender? Good, <laughs> we need everything. Uh, but it's, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's also, it becomes an issue that we get too many qualified. So, you know, now I have too many people that I have to talk to and, and figure out who's better than the other. Um, I kind of I don't know I I I I never I mean I never wrote a business plan and I'm doing a lot of business you know I I, I like not to plan it too much I like to just fill it out and we did the same thing with trust um, you know when we hired the people there it, we didn't we didn't ask about you know resumes and stuff like that I, I I like to fill people out and I think you can learn a lot uh, especially with beer I mean it's not the most complicated subject in the world um, I learned everything you know. From myself, but by just reading about it and drinking and talking to other people, so I, I you yeah. Know, but do you feel like you read people well? I, I, I think I do. Yeah, I do. I, uh, I've, I used to be a school teacher for eight years. Oh, also, there so we that go. definitely helped me a lot. Um, I don't know. I've been in it for a long time, and I've, I've experienced a lot. I've, I've kind of covered the whole aspect. I own a distribution company, own a brewery. We had a bar. We had a you know beer restaurant. Um, 
I've written about beer and all that stuff. It's, you know, I've kind of covered the whole scene, and from that, I've definitely learned to 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 you know understand where people come from and what people I can I can that can help me and what people that can't. Yep, yeah, I want to ask you a different question. A few years ago, you you there was an article in Thrillist, and you picked like the seven favorite beers of yours, beers that influence you. Now, just name a few other breweries that that you really look up to, some other beers that, that you respect that aren't your own. I mean, I, I mean, I, the beers that I, I can say, the beers that I, I seek out now are the beers that I drink. Uh, either the young, the new guys, like, you know, the, the Equilibriums or the, the, you know, Trillium or whatever it is, or the, or the very old guys, like, and when I say old, I don't mean like German thousand years old but like you know they stay up this jolly pumpkin uh stuff like that i mean i get it inspired by all of them in different ways i still get inspired by jolly pumpkin just this whole approach to barrel aging and all that stuff and i've known you know ron for many many years and which we're is very so good. funny like coming from michigan no one talks about jolly pumpkin everyone outside of michigan talks about jolly pumpkin so that's yeah great and hear. everybody should talk about it because work. he was the first guy who started barrel aging for real in america and and he's you know he should be recognized from that and Jelly Pumpkin is not a it's not a hip brand anymore, uh, which you know that's what the world is. But to me, being a brewer and doing all the beers that I do and doing all these crazy styles and working with all these crazy young guys and all that stuff, to look back at what this guy is doing and how he has been doing that for up to almost twenty years now, it's like that's still inspiring to me because he's doing something that's so unique that nobody else is doing, and it might not be the hip thing to do, and it might not be. The modern thing too, but for me it's still something that's legit and real. And plus, I'm also into wine a lot, uh, and I see a lot of you know similarities from what he does to to the wine world. So that definitely inspires me a lot. I had a quick question for you. So you know, we're talking a lot about you know your identity as being an innovative brewery. You know, uh, different approaches to actually making beer, to talking about you know the saturated beer market and. So my background is I work with Union Beer Distributors. We're a craft beer wholesaler, and um, you know, and I learn a market, and mm. I'm in a sales function and role. So a lot of that stuff fascinates me, and it's just my background. Mm. Um, keeping all these things in mind, um, I guess the general question of you know what do you see the industry you know heading towards, in what direction? Like, what are some of the trends that we're we haven't seen quite yet? Um, because you know, a lot of things come and go. I'm just curious to know from your perspective. Yeah. I mean, pickle beer. Anticipate. It's all about pickle beer. That's yeah. the next thing. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> See, that's, again, it's a big question. And, and I, you know, I get, I get asked a lot, you know, from different magazines and publications to, hey, can you name what the new trend is? And it was easy a couple of years ago. You know, you can say, hey, hobby sours. Or you can say, you know, hey, IPAs and blah, blah. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I kind of... The last thing I heard myself say when I got asked from a from a magazine what's what's gonna be the the new trend is actually to look back in time a little bit. Um, I think barley wines, for example, are coming back, um, which is like has been super unmodern for the last five years. But you know we've been through this whole craziness of you know pastry styles and hazy IPAs and all this you know fruity uh, Berliner Weisses and all that stuff. I think to go back and start doing some of the styles that we used to do or that people used to do and kind of, you know, Pilsners are getting back, Lagers are getting back a little bit also. To do these things and kind of perfect them more, I think that's going to be the next 
thing. If it's uh, Belgian blonde, or uh, Belgian dark ales, or if it's barley wines, or if it's lagers, or if it's, uh, you know, even curls today, uh, curls is a pretty hip style just because it's like a clean, you know, that's what people want to drink. So I think looking back in time is kind of what we're, the direction we're going in. With that being said, I don't think hazy IPAs are going out of fashion anytime soon. I don't think pastry stouts are going out of fashion anytime soon. I don't think fruity, fruity Berliner Weisses are going out of fashion. But for our own sanity as brewers and also for the sanity of consumers, I think it's good that we have these other styles also because drinking 12% pastry stouts and 10% hazy IPAs is, you know, it's a little much sometimes. <laughs> it's crazy. Okay, now a question for the Cicerones in the room. Okay, he mentioned barley wine. What is a classic food pairing with a barley wine? And it's in Garrett Oliver. English or American? Uh, let's say English. <laughs> that, was a, that, was a, that was a question. That was the Cicerone response yeah. to your question. That's this is what, what I want to hear more. Yeah. So what, what's a classic, a classic pairing with a barley wine? I'm the junior one here. I'm handing this one off. I mean, I would think, you know, we're talking, if we were talking, what do we decide, an American or, or English? It, I mean, if I were to say like American bar, barley wine, it's, it's obviously very reminiscent of a, is there a classic pairing? IPA, I would say a carrot cake. Yeah, like five pounds of blue cheese. Getting there, Angela. Yeah, see, I feel like actually with American, because it's especially more hop forward, more bittering components, especially more saltiness and cheese, especially is going to be more of the front runner. I think when it comes to pairing, when you get in the English side, that's more of desserts. You almost even so like what's an English, or English blue like that. cheese. An English blue Stilton. cheese. Stilton. Stilton, yeah. thank you. Stilton okay. blue cheese. Had to lead you guys there. Oh, <laughs> Aaron Oliver's book, Brewmaster's Table, one of the first so books good. that we know about, about food and beer pairing. To me, that's the classic that always stands up. Barley wine and Stilton, you put the two in your mouth together, they create something better. Right? Although, to mm. build off what Angel was just saying last night, I went to Bohemian over on Grand, uh, Great Jones. I uh, had this ridiculous, it was one of the best hidden little Japanese restaurants uh, in New York City. Thanks, New and, York. Yeah, right, and of course. Uh, but I had uh, Wagyu beef steak tartare on blue cheese toast, like Stilton blue cheese toast. Nice. And I wish I had an English barley wine or American barley wine with it. And another, I, another couple more pairings that you like. Yeah, and I, I think just speaking broadly to food and beer pairings, and Zach, you and I were chatting about this earlier too, so um, I, I don't necessarily subscribe to the, you know, like this with that kind of mentality. It's more about how you tee it up, right? Because it's all about the context. Hey, this is why I like it. This is why it's important so to which me. Which one do you like? Uh, well, I mean, if we're talking about a huge beer, you obviously, it's going to overwhelm almost everything. And barley wine is about as big as you can get, right? So in that particular circumstance, it has to be, to Angela's point, um, something absolutely, you know, the salinity has to be off the charts. The, you know, the, the, the umami has to be off the charts, something that can really stand up to that, you know? So like a, you know, a hugely juicy cheeseburger, you know, something that has a lot of those characteristics to it would be perfect. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's really how you kind of tee that up. You got one, Matt? I mean, <laughs> it's something different from what we just spoke about, but we're talking about blue cheese. I had one particular blue cheese. I believe it was from Rogue uh, Farms. Uh, they do a blue cheese over there, and that with Imperial Stout created something that wasn't quite present there at first, and it kind of brought out this smokiness character, which is kind of cool with food and beer pairing. You could create this almost like third element. No, that, that's cool. And Yepe, last question. I'm going to wrap up soon. So at your new brewery, you know, let's say you did a night you're going to have – is there a food and beer together that you'd like to serve at your brewery or for a special occasion? Um, I mean, we haven't decided f finally what we're going to do with food. Uh, we're definitely going to scale it back. You know, we had Luxus, and that was a lot of work. Uh, and we're definitely not going to do anything like that again. Um, so I don't know. 
It's up in the air still. I don't think I want to answer that question, but just because we haven't made any any decisions yet. We have talked to some cool people that we want to bring in, but it's nothing is is decided yet. So, right. I do miss Luxus very much, though. That was a great restaurant. Nothing lasts forever. Yeah, <laughs> beautiful. That's a great one. Very Toast true. to that. Thank nothing you. lasts forever. Cheers. How do you say that in Danish? Uh, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> you say school, right? Yeah, exactly. But uh, let's go around yeah. one more time, everybody. Uh, yeah. So say your, your name, your affiliation, and your Cicerone level. Um, Zach Mack, certified Cicerone from Alphabet City Beer Co. Uh, and writer for Thrillist and married other publications. All right. Uh, Matt Dinowitz, Advanced Cicerone, uh, working with Union Beer Distributors in their shared brand program, overseeing Narragansett and Austin East Ciders. Shout out to two really awesome brands. Great. An up-and-coming guy. He's only 26. We got some young guns here. Hey guys, I'm Angela Style. I'm a level three advanced Cicerone, and I work with the Beerly Legal Group as well as working on some other consulting projects around town. I'm going to be the hired gun anywhere and everywhere in the city. Great, thank you. Welcome to New York, Angela. Thank you. Hello, uh, Chris McClellan. I, I actually work for Guinness as an ambassador for the brewery uh, as a certified Cicerone. I'm about to take the advanced, so now the flop sweat breaks out. Um, but yeah, ready to rock and roll. And yuppie. Yeah, but uh, owner and brewer of Evil Twin Brewing, um, the least knowledgeable people in the in the room with no cicerone whatsoever. He has um, no certification, but uh, that says it all. Still respect. I try. <laughs> well, welcome everybody. This has been great. Uh, you got to check out Zach Mack. He's got a what's your summertime gig? You got Governor's Island. Yeah, we got Governor's Island opening up May first. Uh, the beer. We, I just jinxed it, but we're we're ready to go for Governor's Beer Co., which is the all New York City brewed beer garden on the island. We're opening up a second new spot. That's a, it's a different venture, but yeah, stay tuned for that, and we'll we'll be ready in Great. the middle of the month. And, and all you guys, fans, just so you know, coming up this year may may have taken a back burner the last couple of years, but it's going to be the tenth annual July Good Beer Month in New York City, and the tenth annual Good Beer Seal Awards. You know, way back when, two thousand nine to thirteen, the the former mayor, Mayor Bloomberg, uh, gave us five years of proclamations that July is New York City Good Beer Month, and we did a lot with that. And since then, it spawned you know the whole beer scene in in New York City, over thirty craft breweries, and um, removed our annual event from Beer Week to to July. It'll be New York City Brewers Choice in July. You're gonna hear a lot more about it. A lot of our Good Beer Seal buddies and uh, other like top New York City beer people will be on the host committee. We're going to come up with some uh, a new and interesting beer event uh, for everybody in July. So, you know, keep listening in. It's NewYorkCityBrewersChoice.com. And I'm uh, Jimmy Carboni. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our producer, Justin Kennedy, engineer, David Tattisher. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo! Woo! Thank you. Yeah, baby! Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.